0: This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro.fm. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bookmarked, a YA book podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chelsea, and we are super excited because we have a very special episode for you. We are speaking with Veronica Chambers. Veronica is the narrative projects editor at the New York Times. She's written a number of books, including the memoir Mama's Girl and Resist, 40 Profiles of Ordinary People Who Rose Up Against Tyranny and Injustice. Today, she's here to talk about her new book, Call in Response, The Story of Black Lives Matter.
0: This book tells the story of the Black Lives Matter movement with not only expertly researched text, but with some incredible images as well. If a picture is worth a thousand words, then this book is a great deal longer than it might appear. A vital read for anyone interested in how this movement formed and where it's headed. Like Saul said, we are so honored and excited to have Veronica on the podcast. So let's get started.
2: Hi, Veronica. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, thank you. I'm really psyched to be here.
1: We're super excited. I I was thinking earlier today, we've had plenty of New York Times bestselling authors on the show, but we've never had somebody from the New York Times (laughs) on the show, so that's pretty cool. And One thing we wanted to do, though, to get started was give you a chance to introduce yourself um, and also tell the audience a little bit about your latest book.
2: Sure. So my name is Veronica Chambers, and I'm the editor for Narrative Projects at the New York Times. I always say it's a really fun thing when you get to have a title that's like uniquely your own. And basically what that means is that I work on big scale projects and often they include visuals as well as like stories told in lots of different forms. And Call and Response, The Story of Black Lives Matter, it's a book that records the history of the summer of 2020, which it felt really important to us. But it's also, it's two things. The first half of the book is, kind of the story of the racial justice movement in the country, like where we started and how we got to summer 2020. And then the second half of the book is kind of like, what do people do with that? And so we talk about how do people protest? And it's, I think the second half of the book is really interesting because it applies to all kinds of protests. I mean, I'm just back from Glasgow and the COP26, which was the climate change conference and everything about climate change, we can talk about it if you want, um, relates to the same thing, the same youth activists that are protesting in Glasgow. It's very similar to the feel that you had with the racial justice movement. And of course, the amazing thing is that all these movements overlap.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's fascinating. Um, the, The Glasgow protests have been really interesting recently as well. And I think I think you sort of mentioned and, and I'd love to know a bit more, I think a lot of times the way Black Lives Matter has been covered, it's seen in a lot of ways as like through personal stories, either single person or single communities and, and how it's affecting or, or what they're doing in those places. But what you've written here is sort of more of a broad lens look at the history of the movement, sort of like pulling back a little bit and giving us the full full picture. I mean, no, no pun intended there. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about why you decided to tackle this subject from that angle.
2: Sure. I, I think that as a journalist, it's always the natural impulse to pull back. I mean, one of the things that we do when we report the news is contextualize it, to say, not only this happened today, but it matters because of X, Y, and Z. And so I think for me, contextualizing the Black Lives Matter movement was really important because I think, one, it's really important to understand that Black history is a cornerstone of American history. I think Black Lives Matter really builds on you know, generations of protests. And I think, interestingly, and I think you know, for the listeners of this podcast, you know, it's a youth movement. It's a women-led movement. It's a queer-centric movement. It's a movement that has really focused on disability rights. I mean, it is one of the most inclusive racial justice movements of all time. So I think that's really important. And it's important for people to know that young people did that. Like, if this was Something that was planned by forty somethings you wouldn't have that same thing because it just it I think one of the great things you know and again just thinking about the climate change activists is I think one of the great things about this generation of teens and twenty somethings is the ability to hold a lot of different ideas at once and it's you know it's the power of the and, so it's not just i'm here to talk about women's rights it's I'm here to talk about women and race and gender and sexuality and everything else. And I think that is going has already begun to make a powerful crop of leaders, but it is going to be, you know, what we see again and again in the next generation of leaders who will make the biggest difference.
1: Yeah, I that was one of the things that struck me about this book was just and, and I come from a journalism background myself. Um I work in a in a newsroom here in Salt Lake City. So I loved that there was just so much context that you were giving One of the things I was going to ask later, but I think this would be a great time to ask it now, is just reading this book, it seems like there are a lot of young people who are stepping up to lead this movement. And you've just you've just talked about that. Um, I'm curious to know why you feel young people have responded in this way. Like, do you think social media is playing a role in this or are there other generational factors that are pulling young voices to to these movements?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think young people have always been at the cornerstone of activism in the United States. I mean, if you think about like the suffrage movement and the right for women to get the right to vote, one of my, you know, we always, when I was in school, I was always taught about Susan B. Anthony and, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. But one of my favorite suffragists is Mabel Ping Wan Lee, who was a 16 year old girl from Chinatown who like rode a horse and led one of the biggest parades for women to get the right to vote um, ever. And so I think. You often again and again, you know, you see it in the anti-war protests, you see it in environmentalism, you see it in everything. Young people force the nation to push past their comfort zone and really focus on what's possible. I think that's the thing. It's like I think that's a question that Black Lives Matter is asking. And I think that's really important to stress that it's not about valuing one thing over another. I, I, I feel sad sometimes when I go to schools and I do virtual events. And sometimes people are like, I just hear about Black Lives Matter all the time. And I'm like, but that then you're kind of missing it. If you think it's just about the words, then you're missing it. It's really an umbrella term for lots and lots of people who are saying that systemic racism hurts all of us. And none of us are free
0: until all of us are free. Yeah, I think along with that as well, because we are a YA book podcast, obviously, and we noticed that in your further reading section, you listed a few young adult novels as resources to both, I think, both of uh, people of any age, really. Um, yeah. You included books such as Dear Martin by Nick Stone, Ghost Boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, um, which we've talked a lot about on this show. I was wondering, along along with sort of the movement in general and how young people generally respond if you think these fictional stories that have come out and have gotten maybe a bit more uh attention than they were getting in the past have had an impact on the movement especially maybe a young among younger readers
2: I I think so absolutely I mean I I love YA and I'm like one of those grown-ups who's like you know I'm always in the YA section and people are like why? And I'm like, because I'm very in touch with my inner 15 year old. But I think that one of the things about the novels, I mean, you guys know this, you, your, your podcast is so great, and I'm so happy to be on it, is that, you know, fiction is not only transportive, but it creates compassion and connection in ways that I think sometimes nonfiction really struggles to do, you know, I remember reading this, that if you watch a movie about tennis, And they put like, you know, little electrodes on your brain that there's like a 5% like feeling of playing tennis. But if you read a book about tennis, like your brain fires at like 60% or something like that. It's like you're somehow you have more of the experience of playing tennis by reading about it than by watching a movie or a TV show about it. So if that's true about something like tennis, then racial justice, I think, can only have the same effect that it fires on a level of understanding and compassion and connection that other things just don't.
1: What I love about this conversation is that I feel like so often you see people put down young adult novels just like they're lesser literature or something. Yet they're just so inspirational and I think also like there there's just like this progressiveness that's sort of built in to YA that maybe isn't always present in other categories or other markets. And I mean, you're we're talking about fictional characters who go out and change the world. Like that That tends to be a common thread in most YA, whether it is like, sometimes you see it in contemporary, but so you can see it in fantasy and science fiction as well. And there's so much actual like correspondence with real world events there, because it is like we've been talking about young people who, who are out there, changing the world and trying to, to make things better. So I just yeah, I just love I love that we're talking about this because I think a lot of people don't really recognize that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I I think that YA has some of the best writers writing in the country right now. And I in any genre in any form. And and so that's that's really exciting. And in some ways I think because people underestimate the form, then there's freedom in it. I think that really creative people are
1: taking advantage of. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about with this book, and the thing that makes this book so unique, I feel, is the images and the photos that are included alongside the text. Um, and again, I come from a journalism background. And one of my favorite things is seeing what the photogs, the photographers can, can accomplish and some of the incredible images that they can capture. And that really is front and center in this book. You know, we have the written history of Black Lives Matter, but we also see all of these incredible photos from the different protests and, and the movement. And I just wanted to ask you, why was it important for you to include these as such a major element in this book
2: um, i'm I'm with you. I think that the work that photojournalists do is so essential and I think one of the things that we felt when putting this book together, because we talked, we had done a book about women's right to vote called finish the fight, which was like a middle grade book. And it was illustrations. And we worked with all these female and non-binary illustrators. And it was so great. And we were like, should we just get great illustrators to like dream up stuff. But the thing about an amazing photograph is that it doesn't need words. Right. And so, so we wanted to give the reader, not just our experience and our thoughts and the reporting that we brought to it, but just the feeling of being at a protest, looking into the face of protesters. I love that we have big crowds. And then we have like this girl, K-Marie Dixon, who's a little girl on a horse who was in this peace ride that was organized by the Compton Cowboys. Um, We have the protesters in Senegal. One of my favorite is a, a photo of two young women who are clearly like best friends or cousins, and they're in T-shirts and masks, and the T-shirts say "I can't breathe," "George Floyd's life mattered," but it's like the loving way they're looking at each other, and I think that what you know, bell hooks talked about how all the great social mov- movements for social justice in our society have strongly emphasized a love epic. and I think that what I really love about the photographs is that you realize that the energy that drives social change is actually driven by like love and a passion to make things better the, the social change movements that driven by hate and frustration and anger, like that is not sustainable. And so when you look at these movements, you, I mean, these images, you see, you just see a lot of tenderness and you see people like really digging into their hearts to come together and and try to make a difference. And I, I love that the images convey
1: that.
0: Yeah, I definitely felt that way as I was reading the book. It felt like this could have been a really different book without the images. The images gave you people to think about like in your like you weren't making these people up in your head. Like they were real and they were in front of you. But I also felt like this book really showed the importance of collaboration and the like teams of people working on this, the groups of people as they come together, and seeing that visually was like so important. Of just like there's something very visceral about seeing a group of people, or like seeing even just a huge mass of bodies or a group of people working together. That's just it, like evokes something a little bit different than just reading about it. And I really enjoyed that element. I also I thought one of my favorite parts of the book was where you explain each of the different jobs of people in a protest, because that was something I didn't know anything about, about how like there are medics and there are people who go up front or they're like bikers who go to scout what's what's coming around the corner and legal aides who are there to try and help if anybody gets arrested. And having those images with the words I thought was like such a strong way to show there are people working at these. This is a fully formed, real thing that is happening. And I just I really loved that.
1: That's and one also, of my
2: favorite sections
0: in the book. Oh no, I, I'm glad because I I really that was that was one of those ones where I was like I like read it a couple of times. because I was like, this is so interesting. I, I had no for some reason in my head I just assumed everyone should and it all happens. I was like, no, there's got to be people organizing exactly what's happening within the within the movement and within the people. But another thing, sort of in the spirit of collaboration, I think this book really has a really strong element of collaboration to it. You've sort of compiled information from a lot of different journalists and a lot of different stories and a lot of different work that's been done. I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about the process of collecting all that information and then how you sort of put it together the way you did.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that you brought up collaboration because I really believe like collaboration is one of my superpowers. But I have to say that, you know, for the teenagers who might be listening, I was totally the kid that every time they gave a group project i was so angry and i was always like i was like i just just tell me what part you want me to do and i will come with that part <laughs> and um and i think it was i was trying to think about it cuz i think it was because i was i never felt like the work was like fairly distributed or credit was fairly distributed but i do now as a grown up understand why they make you do all those group projects because like almost any work thing that you make in a lot of spheres. I guess some things are individualistic, but definitely being a journalist is collaborative. You know, there are editors and photo editors and photographers, and and interestingly, about that section that you mentioned, who's who at the protest. At that chapter, I was working on the book and I saw an Instagram story that the New York Times did by a reporting fellow named Juliana Kim. And so Just so people know, the New York Times has a whole Instagram team. So if you love Instagram, you could actually be a New York Times journalist whose job it is to just do Instagram. Um, and And I saw this Instagram story and I was like, this is fascinating. And it just had like one image for each thing and some words. It was like, you know, 30 seconds or however long an Instagram story can be. And I was like, we should turn this into a chapter of the book. So I reached out to the Metro Department, and that's the department that covers the city of New York. I reached out to Juliana and the people who designed it, and we broke down the Instagram story into a chapter. And so we found different pictures. We wrote more text that goes with it, And we were able to sort of elongate something that on Instagram was like this quick into like real information. And, And to your point, Chelsea, I think it's great for young people to know that, like, when you see a thousand people in the street, there's someone, and that someone could be, you know, 18, 19, 21 years old, who's actually said, "Okay, do we have a legal observer in case someone gets uh, gets arrested? Do we have a street medic?" So, I mean. Yeah, that's what they call them. So that if someone faints or breaks a leg or falls, they can get medical attention quickly. You know, the fact that there are people on the front who say, okay, if they start arresting people, I'm willing to be arrested. There are people, you know, who might, for whatever reason, because they're young or underage or whatever reason, don't want to be the front line. And so there are people who plan to protect them. And I, I think that that goes through every movement, whether or not it's, you know, racial justice movement or a climate change movement. Any kind of protest has this like incredible amount of organization and nuance.
1: With our audience, a lot of, a large portion of it are, are young readers, uh, but we also have actually a lot of educators. And one of the great things about this book is that it's it's just, for at least from what I think, it, it seems to be a great resource for parents and teachers to facilitate discussions about activism with young readers. And this book has been available for a few months at this point. And I've just been curious to ask you, what's been the response from parents, teachers and young readers? What sort of responses are you seeing to to this book?
2: Um, it's been really interesting. I mean, we dedicated the book to the teachers and librarians who changed our lives. And it was so funny because I sent it to my English teacher who was one of the people I dedicated, who was my teacher when I was like 16. And she just sent me an email back and she was like, I loved it. I was like, thank God, I got an A. I'm still like, I'm still grade grabbing guys. <laughs> I'm like, I just need that A from my English teacher. I think that teachers and librarians have been really excited about it because I think it's multifaceted. You know, there's a whole chapter, for example, on protest and sports. And it's one of the things that we hear is that, there are some kids who just read the sports chapter, you know, it's got Colin Kaepernick and Naomi Osaka and Maya Moore. And, and I love that. I think it's okay to like, I'm not like one of those authors who's like, read, sit down and read my great work of art from beginning to end. You know, like if you love art and you just want to read the chapter on murals, that's awesome. You know, we have a whole chapter on music and how music influences movements and come to symbolize them, like the way that All Right by Kendrick Lamar became the theme song of the Black Lives Matter movement. But we also made a playlist, a kind of throwback protest playlist, and a new school protest playlist. And it's been really fun to hear some kids like, I just made the playlist on Spotify. And you're like, awesome. So I I love the idea of it was, I think that there was definitely a moment where I think some people were like, is a book too PC?" You know what I mean? There are playlists, there are photo- photographs, there's this, there's that. But the fact is, is that this is a history that's being written as we live. We were never going to be able to write the story of Black Lives Matter in 2021 <laughs> definitively for all time. So I thought the smart thing to do is to really use it almost as a case study for young people, about how protest works and all the different ways that you can protest. And um so that's been really exciting. And I think that for me, for kids, parents, teachers, the sense that there's a part that they grab and they love has been the best sort of affirmation.
0: Yeah. And as we were talking about collaboration, I think that's something I really loved about your book is The message I sort of took away from it was like, no matter what your skill might be, there's something you can find here to connect with. And there's also something you can do to be a part of it, whether that's like to be a journalist and put together things like this or to be any of these chapters. And, And I love what you said, too, about how it's okay to pick up a book and not Because I think we we really have that. I'm like, I'm like a grade grubber too, still in in my late 20s, where I'm like, I have to finish a book or I did not or like nothing counts. But I love the idea that this is one that that students can pick up and just find the piece that really speaks to them. Because that's how it works. If you're at a protest, you're not both like the medic and the scouter and the person doing like, you find the the place that works for you. And and that's how you can help.
2: Yeah, get in where you fit in is probably the motto of my
1: life. (laughs) What's cool about all of that too though like outlining the organization of of a protest and just kind of having all these different assets available in this this great package is it just kind of feels like you're sort of arming young students so that way they they could be able to to participate in in all of this at the end of the day and I just think that that is pretty neat.
2: Yeah, I mean I I think we couldn't call it a handbook for protests, but it's a little bit of a handbook of how to protest. <laughs>
1: It's like a good introduction, like like this is, I mean, even like Chelsea said, and I, I have to say it too, like I never considered all of the different roles that would go into actually organizing a protest. I, the most I've seen is like I get a Facebook notification, like be here at this place. But behind that, there are people who are organizing and putting it all together. So it's a great introduction for, for that, for sure. One of the other things we wanted to ask you about is, I'm sure you you've seen in the last month there's been... A lot of news stories about the rise in book censorship across the country right now. We know in many cases that books created by minorities are what are being targeted. And obviously, I I can imagine that a book about Black Lives Matter, I, I can imagine places in the country that might not be receptive to that. As an author of a book that might be included in this type of censorship, what advice would you have for educators as well as students who need access to and are fighting for books like yours?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the censorship, you know, narrative and the moment that we're in is really frightening. I think that I definitely have heard from some teachers who say that that they're teaching from our book, but they were advised not to show the cover in class and they can't order it for their library, so they bought it personally. And that just like breaks my heart because I'm like, first of all, we don't pay teachers enough for them to be buying hardcover books out of their own pockets, but the fact that it's such a controversial topic and yet they, you know, they're like, we do a timeline of the modern civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and they're parallel and we have images. They're like, this is incredibly helpful to kind of like look at, you know, the moments that led up to this. It's a way for us to teach history or to look at music and the power of music and social protest or however they're using it. You know, the mural chapter alone, just the fact that, you know, so many hundreds of murals were put up and teaching kids that, you know, one of the most effective things you can do is paint an image and that a sign is in and of itself a piece of art. So like they're having all these great conversations with kids and to think that they have to hide our book is really, it's sad, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like we've got we've got to protest that too. We got to keep talking about it and we and we need we need parents to say that they want these books to be taught. I will say that. I think that the parents who don't want these books to be taught are very vocal. And sadly, when you're okay with something, you tend not to be as vocal as when you're against something. And so, I think that's really important too. You know, one of the libraries that I visited, not this year, but actually right before the pandemic, so in 2019, a group of parents were telling me that the Black history curriculum that their 10-year-olds were reading was the same one that they had read when they were 10-year-olds in the town, and it was literally like a week on Martin Luther King, a week on Frederick Douglass, you know, like it, they were like, it's the same thing. And so, you know, you, like my daughter was saying that one of the things she liked about the book, of course, I guess she's great grumbling with me, right? She's my kid. <laughs> she's like, and can I go to the comic book shop now? And so um, she said one of the things she liked when, she, when I was putting the book together is that she said she never learns about Malcolm X or the Black Panthers in school. And so I think being able to put those, to say that that was an important part of the movement, I think, is really important. You know, one of the things that I really valued and I learned from the Black Lives Matter movement is that they took the tactics of the modern civil rights movement, the Martin Luther King, the Bayard Rustin, all of those people, but they married it with the radical imagination of the Black Panthers and the Malcolm X. And the idea that the Black Power movement was putting out was saying that, you don't have to be excellent to be treated like a human being. You've earned your humanity by being a human. I think that's something that you don't always learn in school, that there was a narrative for a long time that if you if you do the right things, bad things will not happen to you. And sadly, I think that what we've seen with the cases of people killed by gun violence and in police custody is that Is that you don't necessarily, you are not necessarily protected by doing all of the right things, which is partly why this movement needs such a broad array of people, because it's about all of our safety and all of our, and, and, and moving towards that, you know, more perfect union that this democracy, I think, still aspires to be.
1: Well, I like too, that you said that teachers and librarians are doing so much and as much as they can, but it also needs to be parents that accept these sort of books and have these sort of conversations. And and I guess what strikes me about that is talking about teachers and librarians and then parents is, you know, we see so much in this book, people on the street with signs and protests, but there's also a lot to be done in your home, in your school, in your library. This This movement isn't just isn't just confined to the streets. It isn't confined to an actual physical protest. It is also how you're protesting in your community and, and in your neighborhoods. And I think that's that's something maybe we don't always consider.
2: Absolutely. I mean, one of the people that I loved interviewing was um Paula Velez, who is one of the co-founders of Bakers Against Racism. And you know, she started with 80, the goal was to get 80 people nationwide to do bake sales, and they ended up with more than 40,000 people and raised more than $2 million for social justice movements. And there's this great quote that she said. She said the thing about like doing having conversations about racism over baked goods is that when we speak about issues that we care about it, we do it with a pie in hand. And so sometimes it's a little more graceful and a little more paddle, palatable because there's something sweet at the end, like this very charged, very truth-forward forward statement that we have to make. And I I, I I think about that a lot because I think, how do we sweeten the conversation around social justice? We need to because um, we need to keep having these conversations. So we have to figure out a way to, like, make it palatable so that parents and kids and families and schools can um can talk about how to how to what's wrong and how to make things better.
0: Yeah, and I think your book is a really good example of that too, because as we talked about the images, I think that makes it a lot more welcoming for people to pick up and like not necessarily pick up to be like, I'm gonna read this, but pick up to like almost like a coffee table book, maybe like pick up to be able to like look through and start a discussion with a group of people. Was that part of the reason for for designing it the way that you guys did?
2: I think so. I mean, I think we wanted to to capture like the energy that we felt in the streets. You know, like it was I I don't know if we talked about this already, but experts estimate that close to 26 million Americans participated in some sort of Black Lives Matter protest in 2020, and that makes it the largest protest in our nation's history. So we wanted to capture that. And what was so striking to me, just back to the fact that the image, like, it's almost like, you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at over a hundred pictures and what's you don't see anybody screaming in someone's face. You don't see anybody like fighting with their fists. And, you know, there's, I forget, I think it might've been MIT, these professors did a study and between 1900 and 2005, more than 50% of peaceful protests were effective in achieving their goals. The fact is, is that these protests were by and large peaceful and they're peaceful because they're effective. That is the most effective way to make change. So um, I, I, I wanted to show that. And I, and I love that what you see is you see people who are hopeful you see people who are grieving as well but you also see people who are really coming together in a peaceful way to say this isn't okay with me i want i want a different america
1: we definitely think you've compiled and written something very special we normally get fiction novels uh, coming across our desks but Uh, This was for sure a a treat to to have this and and also to talk with you.
2: It was
0: so good. Thank you so much. It was wonderful getting to speak with you and to have this conversation. and, And just to get to read your book, I think this is one where anybody who's even a little bit interested or even just wants to know how to start this conversation or have the conversation with your family or friends. This is such a great resource for that, um, no matter your age, but I think especially for for younger people. We always like to end things with letting people know where they can find you and your book, and also if there's anything else you're working on or that's coming up that you'd like to promote or tell people about.
2: Sure. So I'm on Twitter very rarely, at Vivi Chambers, but on Instagram all the time, at Vivi Chambers. And I- You can find our book, Black Lives Matter, I mean, Call and Response the Story of Black Lives Matter at any of your um, independent bookstores. There's actually an audio version, too. I love listening to audiobooks. And so I like especially listening to nonfiction when I walk, because fiction, I tend to like, not pay attention to traffic. (laughs) So I tend to get into trouble. but, um, But I like listening to nonfiction, like when I'm running errands. And and, you know, you can follow our work at the New York Times. I have an author page. And so if you just type in Veronica Chambers New York Times, you'll see all the different articles that we're working on. And we just did um, a piece on Black surfers. And there's actually, for educators and teachers, there's, um, there's New York Times has a learning network. And they compiled a lesson plan based on our Black surfing piece. And it really looks at, like, the history of exclusion in surfing and um and why like surfing feels like a last frontier to so many black athletes and um and they did a great lesson plan and it's about sports and how we learn how to dream and i think it's something that i'm really proud of so
0: that sounds incredible. I'm definitely going to check that out today. Um, That sounds really, really cool. And yeah, we are big, we are big audiobook fans here uh, as well. We actually did a whole podcast about how much we enjoy audiobooks. So, oh my God, so I have to look it
2: up. Okay, I'm going to go back and look it up. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad to hear
0: that this has that option as well. Um, just get people, however however they ingest books, uh, this yeah. has an option for them. But no, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Veronica. It was so wonderful to get to speak with you and, and to learn more about your book. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at Bookmarked YA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at pluckybookmark, and you can follow Saul at Saulmark. That's S-A-U-L-M-A-R-Q. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.